0: Welcome to Full Release with Samantha B. Hopefully you'll experience one by the end of this. We are deep into Women's History Month. A time to celebrate the accomplishments of women, a time to pay them what they're worth, a time to stand up for their basic human rights, and a time to make sure all women everywhere are caressed in sweet, buttery cashmere. Okay, but actually, you're supposed to do these things every month, not just in March. As always, I'm joined by my producers, Adam Howard and Sophia baron reinstein And fittingly, our guest today is part of the still-too-small Women in Comedy Club. Like me, Chelsea Handler has hosted her very own late-night show. But that is not enough. We might not need more late-night shows, but we definitely need more that are hosted by women. So, podcast gals, is there a woman out there you would love to see hosting her own late-night show? And... Go.
1: (laughs) This is a tough one because we have to pick somebody who's your competition, sort of.
2: I know. Um, And we automatically get jobs at these shows, too. (laughs) (laughs) Great. There's
1: also so many talented people to choose from, obviously. Mm -hmm. But um, when I heard this question, the first person that popped into my head Mm -hmm. was somebody who actually did something on our show, uh, Patty Harrison.
0: Oh,
2: yeah. Uh, Because I feel like she
1: has such a completely kind of off-kilter... Mm-hmm. take on the world and she's so unpredictable and i feel like that's something we could use in the late night space as somebody mm-hmm. who i like, genuinely don't know what a show she would do would even look like because her sense yeah. of humor is so unusual um but i love her and i just think everything she does is great so i would love to see a show with her
0: oh my god my kids love her so much oh that's fun because they love i think you should leave and she is yes. so funny yes. in the sketches that she's in
1: <laughs> oh yeah the wine one <laughs> oh my god the, uh, yeah yeah And the one where
0: they're like tables, (laughs) you're like, don't talk about the tables. (laughs) Oh my God. It's such a good show. Well, I feel like our
2: show could be like a little incubator for future late night shows. Cause I also feel like, uh, a previous podcast guest, Sarah Schaefer could do a great job. I know she's had a Mm -hmm. show, but I feel like we don't need more normal size late night shows, but a tiny late-night show would be so fun, and she does a lot of miniature stuff and has her miniature comedy club, and if you turn that into a miniature late-night set, I
0: feel like it would just be a riot. These are incredible. These are incredible ideas. I want a tiny late-night show. (laughs) I love tiny things. Oh, my God. That's such a good idea. And it has, in the tiny green room, there's tiny spoons and forks. For the Chinese Max. <laughs> okay, all right. This is these are great ideas. This is I I feel like I'm so excited to talk to Chelsea today. I'm so excited to talk. It's long overdue. It's long overdue. I to cannot get you believe we in a room together. Yep, I cannot believe we have never met. Folks, don't go anywhere because we have Chelsea Handler coming right up. Joining me today is the endlessly funny Chelsea Handler. You know Chelsea from her time as the host of E's Chelsea Lately and her Netflix shows, Chelsea and Chelsea Does. She has penned six best selling books, including Life Will Be the Death of Me. In 2020, she released her first stand up special in over six years, the critically acclaimed Chelsea Handler. Evolution on HBO Max, which earned her a Grammy nomination for Best Comedy Album. Most recently, she launched her iHeart Radio advice podcast, Dear Chelsea, and embarked on the Vaccinated and Horny tour, bringing her sensational stand-up set to over forty cities. Oh my god, across the nation, and winning the Comedy Act of Twenty Twenty One at the People's Choice Awards. I am so appreciative that she had time to include Full Release as one of her tour stops. So please welcome Chelsea Handler. Oh my god, it's you.
1: Hi.
0: Hi! I cannot believe that this is the first time we're meeting. This is crazy. How did this go on for so long without us knowing each other? I don't like it. That's weird.
3: Well, you know, when you started your show, yeah. I remember we were talking about doing something together. Yes. Yeah. And then of course, who knows what happened with that? It evaporated. Yeah, we were talking about it. And it was exciting. It was really exciting. And I'm sure that like timing
0: was so well, you've started many shows. From absolute zero. So, you know how your world explodes when you're creating a new show, right?
3: Yeah, it's like having a baby. And we know how I feel yeah. about parenting. So, you know, <laughs> it's, I can only, I mean, I, well, I don't want to jump ahead, but mm-hmm. I want to, I, something I do want to discuss with you. Yeah. Because one of the most laborious aspects, in my opinion, of mm-hmm. having your own show. is being constantly asked what it's like to be a woman in this (laughs) male-dominated field. And enough times that it it became so annoying that I thought, I can't do a show anymore if this is the only field of questions I'm going (laughs) to be answering. Right. No, you get asked, well, I'm in,
0: this is our season seven that we're in right now, and I feel like I've been asked every single year and like every single start of every season, maybe until this season. So maybe it takes six years. Oh, yeah, Christ. probably.
3: I mean, everything is a seven-year cycle, right? It's like a yeah. seven-year itch. So then people get tired of asking that question. But I found yeah. that question to be so annoying yeah. that I was like, do I need to write a list of questions that people can ask female talk show hosts so that they have a better <laughs> uh, you know, spectrum of interest? Right.
0: Well, how did, you, how did you answer it? Like, What would you say to people when they ask you Like, three seasons in? You're like, all right, here we go. Let's do it.
3: Well, I just find it to be so like I'm not thinking about those guys. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I'm yeah. sure you're not either. The idea that that's what's on our mind, you know? I feel yeah. like that's the least of it. And if they're thinking about us, then I think that says it all, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But I didn't I didn't I didn't appreciate that. I just felt like it was very uh ugh. It was just very. Um, it's
0: like a lazy question. It's actually reductive. a pretty lazy question. Yeah. Like yeah, after a while. A lazy question. You're like, it's come like on. When,
3: I, when I'm on tour and I get interviewed and people are like, what can we expect? It's like <sighs> fucking comedy. I mean, what do yeah. you. I'm not going to go over my jokes with you, but it's a stand up show. So expect stand up. You know, <sighs> what can we expect is such a lame question,
0: also. <laughs> what can we expect? Well, I'm going to do like several. I'm going to do some fucking handstands. I'm going to actually, it's not a comedy show at all. I'm doing circus tricks. Is that mm-hmm. to your liking? A triple back
3: sow cow is what <laughs> I've got triple, in store for you.
0: Yeah, I have like a I do a like a do, I do a dog circus now and they come out and they run and we don't jump through hoops and I don't do any jokes. So get excited. Yeah, get excited. Get fucking excited. That's something to get excited. I have to tell you this because you know what? I fucking loved your book. Bu- Are you there? God, it's me, Chelsea was such a meaningful book to me. It like was kind of like life changing for me. And so just for context, I think I had just I had just had a baby. It was either like the first one or the second one. And I got a copy of your book, I bought a copy of your book. I was like, I'm gonna fucking read this thing. And I read it in half a day. And I loved it because I was like, everybody shut up. Everybody get out of my face. And I devour. I ate the whole thing up. It was so funny. Anyways, I've loved you ever since that moment. So oh, thank you, well, thank
3: you so much.
0: Gave me a real bright spot. Okay, where are you right now? Because you're on tour. You're on vaccinated and horny.
3: Yes, I am vaccinated and horny, and my mm-hmm. tour is also called vaccinated and horny. Just to yep. remind everybody where how yes. I feel about everything. I'm in Whistler, Canada. I have a place <gasps> up here for winter. This is where I winter. <laughs> you have a place in
0: Whistler. I winter. This is where. <laughs>
3: this is, I is where white women winter. Okay. Ah, <laughs> truly. Whistler is so beautiful. I know. I know. I'm in love with Whistler. It's like my favorite. It's like my... This is my place. So I come up here in December with my family. Then I evacuate them after one week. Okay. My brothers and my sisters and all their kids, we have a nice skiing holiday. Then they leave and then I get down to business and I ski and I hang out here. And I'm actually doing my Canadian dates right now. So uh, part of my tour, uh, my Canadian dates are like, you know, this week I'm going to exciting places. I know that you're familiar with Winnipeg.
0: I saw on your tour schedule that you're going to be in the peg.
3: impressive exciting.
0: <laughs> I've been to the bag many times.
3: I know. Where are you from?
0: I'm from Toronto, which okay. I'm sure you must be. I'm sure Toronto's on your. Yeah, we're headed to dates. Toronto
3: for two nights and then okay. Winnipeg for two nights and then Ottawa. Yes. Ottawa.
0: Okay. Mm. I also lived in Ottawa for many years. People are gonna people are gonna eat it up. I didn't realize you had a full place in Whistler, British Columbia. Mm-hmm. My mom lives in British Columbia. Oh, does she ski? She does not. She lives on a tiny island in the middle of nowhere. (laughs) She lives in like a little tiny, it used to be like a whaling island. And now it's just this little special treasure.
3: Like by Vancouver Island?
0: Yeah, like in between, in between the mainland and Vancouver Island. So West Coast of Canada. That's, that's amazing. Okay. When did you start doing live stand up again after the pandemic?
3: Well, you know, I shot my last special for HBO Max was called Evolution. I shot that during the pandemic, the first summer in August, because I was getting ready to shoot it, getting ready to shoot it. And then the pandemic hit And I just thought, screw it. Let's do it anyway. We'll just do, you know, reduced capacity people. Yeah. I did it in New Jersey at this beautiful train station outside. So we were able to kind of, you know, experience life. (laughs) Like, almost be normal, fucking live. We were able to just like, get it done. Because I yeah. just felt like, you know, as an artistic endeavor, you kind of have a lifespan in your mind. And when you're ready to expel it, you've got to. Yeah, so I didn't want to postpone that because everyone was postponing it. And I don't like to do that either. When everyone is doing one thing, right. it kind of annoys me. Yeah. So I I really was intent on filming it. So I did it during that pandemic. And then. Once I filmed it, you know, I took some downtime, but then I started doing my tour in the pandemic again, uh, like towards the tail end of it in February, whenever, no, I started doing dates last July and August and I've been going ever since. And I'll probably go through July and August, like run it for a year. Okay. I'll tape a new special in Nashville this year. Yeah. Yeah. It's been really actually, you know, for me, I, I, I did stand up for so many years where I just kind of was going without really looking or thinking or feeling like I had so many balls in the air yeah. at that point in my life that I wasn't really hyper focused. On anything, like it was my TV, my books, my stand up, and in that order, every year I was like, you know, it was one another book, another tour, another, yeah. And you know, I found after a while I burnt out so badly that I was just like, oh, doing that many things at one time kind of, um, you know, denudes yeah. the cre- it, it denudes the um, integrity of the work. Okay. It's not all so good when you're just kind of going. I mean, I guess JLo would probably argue with that, but I was like, oh, I'd rather <laughs> really be focused on my stand up. And with this, with doing stand-up, I mean I, I mean, I am more focused, so now I understand mm-hmm. the benefits of it, but doing it during this time when people are just so, so over this and, yeah. and everyone hates everyone and if you don't wear a mask, you know, you're Hitler, yeah. it, like all of it is just like, it's such a good time to be able to bring people together, you know, don't to bring people and remind them about togetherness. And, you know, I'm a very politically active person, but kind of taking that out of my stand-up and focusing on actually bringing people joy and laughter and reminding reminding them about humanity, right? it feels much more purposeful, you know, than it used to when I was in my 20s or 30s. Like now I feel like, oh, I have more of a purpose, you know, not taking yourself so seriously to think that you're changing people's lives, but understanding that you're having an impact on the people that do respect you.
0: Right, right, right. But let me say before, I, because I have a, a follow up question for you, but I loved your jumpsuit in evolution so much is really oh, good. Oh, thank really you. Well, I had my it.
3: period that night. So I always like you to wear did? white. Yes, I like to wear white when I get my period just so that you know, if there are any men there, they can also enjoy what I go through. <laughs> oh my god, have you ever okay? Well,
0: let me tell uh, you're not in you're not menopausal yet. Are you? Well, I, I mean, I, I hope I, I mean, I'm
3: looking to go there. I'm open okay. To it's this. happening. It's happening. Yeah. Are you going through menopause right now? Oh, For sure. For sure. And, I but, am. Tell me
0: about it. Oh, it's wild. It's a fucking roller coaster. <laughs> it's a fu- Look, it's like, I'm always here to talk about it because I think it's like super interesting and no one really, it's hard to talk about until you're in it because you don't really understand what people mean it's so ephemeral until you're actually, until your body starts to break down in that way and your hair starts to fall out in chunks and you go like, what the fuck is, but my hair, but that's a part of who I am. And you're like, oh, there it is. It's on the, it's on the wall over here, like a massive, like the craziest things happen. But one thing that happens, which calls to mind your white jumpsuit is that you have these wild period cycles where it's just like the shining and the elevators, and you just, (laughs) you don't know where they come from. And it's just a complete loss of, you're just like, I guess this is my life essence. I don't know what's happening right now. I've never experienced this before.
3: I met my sister, my older sister, who has gone through menopause. Oh, she got an ablation because her menopause was so bad. She got her uterus scorched. But she met me once in Africa, and she got off the plane, Mm -hmm. and she had pants that she had cut into shorts and a sweatshirt tied around her waist. Uh And she looked like, you know, Bindi the Crocodile Hunter, but grown up. And (laughs) I was like, what the fuck are you wearing? (laughs) And she was like, you have no idea what happened to me Mm -hmm. on that plane ride. She's like, I got my period and blew up the entire... She said when she got up to go to the bathroom, she was sleeping. I got up to go to the bathroom and came back and saw that her entire seat was covered in blood and there was a man sitting next to her who was just (laughs) horrified. She had to cut her pants off and into shorts And then Mm -hmm. wrap her sweatshirt around her, you know, body Mm -hmm. so that nobody could see the trail of tears she had left behind. Uh I just looked at her and thought, oh, my God, I hope that never happens to me. Because, you know, when you're young, you really believe these things will not happen to you.
0: You absolutely believe that they will not. And then they do one day. Like (laughs) like, I did. For me, (laughs) I was like, white pants are like a dangerous. Like, it's just it was like one thing when you're young, you're like, white pants. How, you know risky but when you're a menopausal woman you're like no this is fucking like you can't because i remember doing like an event for like dove soap once (laughs) it was like everything was like pure white and it's like a dove is coming and landing on your shoulder and it's so clean and like white and perfect and i was wearing white pants and i had a full it's just a release just just the godfather, (laughs) there's a horse head in my pants, everything. And I just and it's the definition of like, I had to leave the party with a sweatshirt tied around my waist.
3: There's so many disgusting things that women have to deal with that, you disgusting. know, disgusting. like I understand that men get yeast infections, but like, not like women not, do, you know, and women get way. it when we're, you know, you, you get it when you're having sex. So we go for long periods of time, if you're single and you don't have sex and then you find somebody you finally find acceptable enough to, to fornicate with, and then you're punished with a yeast infection. <laughs> it's like clockwork, you know, like yeah. we, they don't have to deal with that ever. No. It's
0: a never-ending series of humiliations. It's okay. It never gets better. It only gets worse.
3: <laughs> My sister's like, "Well, guys get." She goes, "Well, guys get humiliated when they're when they're in school because they get boners that they can't hide." And I was like, "Yeah, that's one form of humiliation, but not on the level that we, you know, no. we, we we are shamed."
0: Yeah, they don't like like clockwork get their period at a track meet and in yellow shorts.
3: Right, and also like a boner. A boner is more funny than yeah. a period. A period is more shameful for yeah. some reason. And also,
0: I feel like there's a lot of mythology around having to go up to the chalkboard with a boner in your pants. Like, I actually don't think that happens all that much because I think the thought of getting a boner at the chalkboard is such a boner killer that actually it rarely happens versus Good point. that's an excellent, women go through. Very sagacious.
3: Very <laughs> sagacious point. I've
0: just never seen it. I feel like that was real. I would have seen it at some point in my life. I think so. We would have all seen it. Not that
3: I was paying attention in school. so
0: <laughs> I was very into my own shit. I'm like, no, I've got a pimple. I have to go inside myself for three days and, and self-flagellate. <laughs> <laughs> is everybody looking at me? The answer is no. They're all very worried about their boners. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> okay, you're going to record your special in Nashville. How do you decide? I actually want to know this. because I don't do stand up. Like, How do you know when you're going to record? Are you like building to the, the taping? You do two tapings, three
3: tapings in a city? Yeah, typically you do two. But, you do, you know, you take – I mean, every comedian's different. It's like how much – how many shows do you have to do to get your new hour to where it's ready, right? Like, and for me, I mean, I like to work pretty – I I mean, I, I've, I'll i have done the show probably for nine months. So I'll, I'll have done probably – almost a hundred shows and that's enough for me. So okay. like I have to do them I have to tape the special when I'm still really passionate about the material. Okay. Not after the fact. And there's a very like there's a window. So I know what that is for me because I, I like to turn things over quickly and kind mm-hmm. of, you know, get the ball rolling. Some comics want to do 250 shows before they tape a special. Ah. Some comics, you know, do a special every five years and some comics do a special every year, you know? So right. I think it's different. And I I just I just know myself and I trust myself and I like to bet on myself, you know, like I I have to, you know, I have to believe in it before anybody else is going to believe in it. Mm -hmm. So I kind of try to make all those decisions and not let other people make those decisions for me.
0: And are you feeling like, is it like uh, because you're still discovering something in the show, a hundred shows in and then because you must be finding new moments? Are you still finding yeah, new always. moments at that you're point? Always yeah, You're always
3: tinkering. I mean, right now it's pretty good, but I have an hour and 20 minutes that I do every every show. Okay. And so, you know, a special is an hour. So it's, you can be a little bit over, but you're not going to do a special probably for an hour and 20 minutes mm-hmm. unless there's all these new avenues of doing specials, right? So who knows? Maybe you can right. do that. So eventually I'll have to edit out some of the stuff. But right now, yeah, in the beginning, you're just writing and writing and trying jokes and seeing what works. And sometimes something works a few times and then doesn't work again and vice versa versa but you're always just trying to you know for me create a beginning and a middle and an end even though it's a stand-up show and you're telling jokes I want to tell a story and have a narrative right and all my 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 stand-up is all personal stories that yeah. are you know they're anecdotes they're just like me talking about my experiences so Yeah, you're always tinkering with it. But, you know, the more focus you have on it, the quicker it comes together. And it just, like, starts to gel. And especially when you're on tour, you're going up. Sometimes you're doing two shows a night, you know, and you're going up four or five times a weekend for an hour minimum each time. Like, it's pretty easy to get it together pretty quickly.
0: Right. You're such a political person. Like, that's how, I mean, obviously, you're a hilarious comedian. But, like, the Trump years really, really took you for a spin. Yeah. Totally. Was that new for you? Or were you always kind of differently political? And then that just unleashed like a side of yourself that you just weren't even aware was inside you?
3: Yeah. Like, I I, I didn't understand it at the time why it was so uh, upset, like... It, right. it set off something in me, which represented, you know, after he got elected, I did go to therapy because I was so angry and people were so uh, like, I people would see me coming and be like, oh, fuck, you know, like <laughs> she is great. so angry and I right. could not, I was so fixated and mm-hmm. so consumed on that 24 hour spin cycle of Donald Trump and how could this happen and how could this happen? And when I went to therapy many months after the fact, I realized through, you know, two years of real deep analysis that he represented to me just everything that my father represented to me, you know, the destabilization of my childhood. My brother died when I was young. My Mm -hmm. father subsequently was a hot mess and a narcissist. And he, to me it was it was the only other time in my life where the rug was pulled out from under me okay. so donald trump just represented everything that was destabilizing about my childhood and like you know that year that that happened and what happened after it and you know at the time i was just so angry at you know at donald trump and ivanka and and all of them with their veneers i was like i can't believe i have to see their veneers for 4 years <laughs> and i have to listen to these fucking morons talk oh, right. but After the realization, like, yes, I I hate Donald Trump, but no, what I was really upset about was stuff that I had never dealt with, you know, that unsettling thing. And and then you realize, oh my God, I've been so spoiled my entire life that this is the first time in a major way in my adult life that things haven't worked out the way that I wanted them to. Like, you know, it's a broader kind of picture that you look at and you're like, wait a second. What is this really about? So, yes, I can't stand that. I can't stand the way that our country, you know, everything that happened since he was became president. Right. But it right. was, yeah, it, it was. I had never experienced that kind of level of disgust and um, and disappointment in just the way the world works. And it's given me this view, you know, politics are just it's so ugly and it's so yeah. disappointing and it continues to be. Do you think that that contributed to having a feeling of burnout? Like,
0: it's really hard to be so incandescently angry all the time, it does Mm. wear you down.
3: Yeah, I was doing my Netflix show and I was consumed by the political aspect of things. I'd come in, right. I'd turn on CNN, MSNBC, and Fox News and just be like this, you know? Yeah. And so eventually I was going to give myself cancer, but I just realized like, okay, I need to not to be doing anything. I really felt that way. Like I felt like like I wanted to focus in, on politics and go around and make mm-hmm. a difference and speak to people who had different opinions and get kids registered to vote at colleges. And I did yeah. that. I did that for like a year. And, and then, you know, there's a burnout that comes with that like everything I was doing was at a 10 not at a five or a six mm-hmm. and so even like going back to what I was saying earlier about doing stand-up and t- my tv show and books and everything, yeah. again, it's like at such a, like a, at a 10 and at a 12 that you always burn out when you're going like that hard yes. at something. And so that's a lesson that I've had to learn several times in my life, you know, and I'm just trying to like em- employ a better attitude in the last couple of years or a better work work life, you know, right. where I don't allow myself to work like that. And I allow myself to vacation, to take time down, to not be on a rabbit wheel or a hamster wheel, you know, like to not try to be participating in that way. And that's hard too. Cause then you're just like, you know, you're creating your new normal and you're just like, well, this isn't what I'm used to, you know, but you're right. like, it's not healthy. It's not healthy to be that involved in everything. And especially with, you know, Trump, I know a lot of people felt that way, Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. but the after effects of it too, are just so disappointing,
0: you know? Yeah. And I mean, now we're like, I mean, just careening into this, I mean, this, the war is horrifying. Like, how do you, I guess, how do you disconnect if you, if your impulse is to be connected all the time and you're, you're really very present and like active and great on social media. So how do you like carve out that space for yourself? Do you just like go on a complete, like, do you just like, like blackout shades not gonna watch like I'm just like not gonna tune into anything just like fuck off world I'm gonna ski topless for five (laughs) days straight
3: (laughs) definitely I mean I don't you know until this happened with Ukraine I hadn't turned on the news in a long time okay once Biden was elected I was like okay let me take a breather you know I read the news but watching it is a whole different beast as we've Mm -hmm. learned you know what it does to your blood pressure and heart rate But I want to be informed. I'm not going to not be informed, you know. I Mm -hmm. read the news and I'm up to speed on things, but I'm not as emotionally invested anymore. Like, I understand this whole political thing is a game, and our country seems to have lost the plot, you know. It's all about money and nobody gives a shit. And we're going backwards and all of those things. But like with Ukraine, you know, no, you can't not pay attention to that. You know, it's something that you want to bring awareness to help people donate, you know, find out the people who are getting to people on the ground, all of those things. But yeah, there is a balance now, you know, but I I try to I try to really not let the politics of the day rule my day. They don't direct my mood in the way that they did For a while. That's good. Because it is pretty hard to like, once you're in the habit of spiking
0: your cortisol at five o'clock in the morning, with a quick like scroll (laughs) of Twitter and like what's new in the world, then the day is in many ways lost.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Totally. I mean, I used to wake up in the middle of the night and check my news or turn it on to see what was the latest. And then you realize that the news and the spin cycle is another web of, you know, the way that they present things and the way even this war and talking about what Russia was going to do before they do it. You read one argument and they're like, why are they telegraphing that it's already accepted that Russia is going to invade Ukraine? You know, Zelensky was saying, please, America, stop advertising what's going to happen to us before it happens. And I was like, oh, there's one argument. And, and and they're putting that all over the airwaves. Right. And then and, and the next sentence, he was like, you're 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 making it permissible for it to happen by saying it's going to happen. Uh, right. Yeah. And I was yeah. like, oh, that's so interesting. That's exactly what's happening. Russia's getting permission because everyone's saying, oh, he's already decided that he's going to invade Ukraine. So there's nothing we can do, but we'll sanction the shit out of him. It's like all speculation. Everything is speculative and conjecture. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then they talk about like, what did Trump mean when he tweeted that, you know, oh Biden God. is an asshole. It's like that Biden is an asshole. That's what he meant. We don't need to read further into this one. So yeah. once you can identify that those programs are what they are, I realize people are just doing their jobs, but it is a, it's its own industry of nonsense. Yeah, it's a real hamster wheel to recognize that. Like my husband's in Berlin right now.
0: And I was like, people must be freaking out in Berlin. And he was like, well, the news is really different. Like I haven't really spent a lot of time in Germany, but he was like, it's very different here because they talk about the news in Germany or what he has seen. So I can't speak for, obviously I can't speak for everything, but he's like, what I'm seeing is that they're reporting on news that has actually happened as opposed to like creating a fiction of the news that is about to happen and Mm. what is going on in everybody's brains. Things that we cannot possibly know. Mm-hmm. we're so into predicting the future here or like setting out 10 ways that everything can, that we can end up in the nuclear war. <laughs> so that we're it's all like, just,
3: it's like that Steve Kornacki, you know, where he talks about if the votes go to this one, if the votes yeah. go here, if the votes, that's how news is. It's like, this could happen, this could happen or this or this or this yes. could happen. And you're like, well, what the fuck is going to happen? I mean, nobody seems to know. Yeah, so
0: maybe we should, it's actually pretty amazing how everybody who is like an infectious disease expert is suddenly pivoted to be like to like a f- their their foreign policy expertise is stunning. Like this is great. everybody knows everything. <laughs> just multidisciplinary geniuses all around. I'm just trying to not listen to people at all. It's not easy.
3: No, yeah, that's a good rule of thumb
0: to stop listening to anyone. I wanted to call, like, we're doing, we have a show this week, I wanted to call our Act One. Everybody shut the fuck up for five seconds! I gotta think! <laughs> like, I gotta think! Um, okay, so you, you do talk a lot about your therapist in in, in evolution, and it's great, and, and you talk, you explain that, he told you that you don't have empathy.
3: <laughs> yes, a classic side of a narcissist. How do you work on that? How does... How do you work on that? Well, in the beginning, it was very difficult because he would give me these exercises that were so, you know, uh, pedestrian. Like I would Mm -hmm. basically meet somebody, and he'd be like, you know, anytime you have any sorts of feelings of annoyance or you want to, you know, or you have short patience, like you just have to picture that person going home for the day. Picture what their family life looks like. Picture what their wives are like the jobs that they have to work, how many people they're supporting, like little just human kind of interactions like that you seem that are embarrassing to admit that you didn't have it to begin with. But I think empathy and sympathy were, you know, two big things that like I thought kind of were the same, but sympathy is a very, it's got a very distinct definition or meaning than empathy does and sympathy I have in spades. I can, you know, I care. I want to help people always. It, It could be a stranger, anyone, but empathy, you know, thinking about what it's like to be that person, actually going through like, oh, what are these people in the Ukraine feeling, experiencing, doing as they're running, you know? trying to escape their country like what does that feel like you know putting yourself in that mindset is different than going oh poor ukrainians Right. You know, that must be scary. And then that's it. So I had to like, you know, there's always an overcorrection when you realize there's a big miss. So I had to overcorrect and cultivate my empathy, like basically like at the learning annex. That's what it was like <laughs> with me and my psychiatrist. Okay. He'd be like, whenever we talk about anything, he's like, so what did you think? How do you think they felt when they left? I'm like, oh, interesting. I never thought about how they felt. Oh my God. <laughs> like, I'm so Like, good job, Chelsea, you know? So uh, yeah, it was... It was, you know, hard to hear, but also welcome. You know, I think when you go into therapy with a real intention of trying to get to the bottom of it, which in my point was my anger, I had such mm-hmm. anger that it wasn't working for me anymore. And, you know, things do work for you until they don't, until it becomes unmanageable. You know, all that motion and chaos that I was so accustomed to worked for me for many, many years with my yeah. career, with my personal life, with everything. And then it just kind of became unmanageable. And Mm -hmm. I wasn't happy anymore. And I was like, this isn't good. I'm not interested in this. I'm interested in getting to the other side of things, which, you know, is is really difficult or can be difficult, you know, if you're not... Being honest with yourself and you're not willing to go there, you're driving there knowing, oh, like I'm gonna have to cry in front of a man today. Like he's gonna make me cry, or he's gonna say something where I'm gonna be fighting my tears and not willing to get down to the, you know, the deeper issues. I remember the first time I went to him, my psychiatrist, he's like, you know tell me about your childhood. I said, I'm not here, there's nothing to see there. I'm like, my mom's dead, my brother's dead. Well, you know, like, there's nothing, I'm I'm good with death, I understand how to deal with death. I'm like, but that's not my problem. And I'm like, my problem is my impatience, my anger, you know, I'm annoyed by everybody. And he was just like, well, that's your problem is that your mom died and your brother died and that you don't (laughs) want to talk about it. But, you know, he didn't say that to me, but obviously as a doctor, he understood, well, gee, this is a pretty obvious scenario or wounds. And, um, you know, it sounds cliche, but when you're in it and you're in your own life, you don't see yourself clearly, you know, therapy gives you the gift of self-awareness, which is, you know, invaluable.
0: Right, right. That's so funny. I just can't. It's so funny to imagine you talking to a psychiatrist and being like, don't worry about these two massive, just like cataclysmic events and deaths in my life. That has, this has nothing to do with it. And he's just taking <laughs> notes. He's like, check. Okay. All right. So, We're
3: developing okay. for Peacock. We sold my last book, Life Will Be the Death of Me, where I talk, it's all about my therapy experience. And that was where evolution came from. Like, I put it into stand up. I'm playing myself in this. When I'm going over these scenes, I'm like, oh my God, how am I going to, how am I going to do this scene again? This was like three years ago in my life. And I'm like, and I'm so in a different place. And I'm like, well, I guess what, I guess that's what acting is.
0: Right. Oh my God. Okay. So you also have a, you have a podcast now, Dear Chelsea. Oh yeah. You love, do you you love giving advice? Do you love it?
3: I got so much out of therapy because I'm such a good student. I love to learn. You know, when I was in high school, I didn't want to learn. That wasn't the time for me. I wasn't interested. Yeah. And then I didn't go to college and then I wanted to make sure that people thought I did go to college. So I, I read every book I could get my hands on and overcompensated for that, you know, in any way I could, I could know. And now I just love, I, I love to absorb that information. I would come home from therapy and you have like an aha moment. I'll be like, oh, you know, I would say something like, oh, I just end relation. I go, if someone pisses me off, it's over. I can't, I can't get past it. And he'd be like, well, that's because that's how you think relationships end. You know, your brother was there one day and then the next day he's not. So that's how you process that.
0: Oh, my God. That's a great insight.
3: Yeah. I was like, oh, you know, and and also annoyingly, you're like, everything can't come back to my brother dying. He's like, want to make a bet? like it's such a major imprint especially at whatever age you're at, you know, I'm a 9-year-old yeah. girl at the time when my brother passed away and that imprint is in your body and your you know like you, I didn't deal with that then. My whole family fell apart. No one had time to like tend to me, so mm-hmm. I just made everything okay and ignored it and pretended my brother's dead. Whose brother isn't? Right. You know, like that kind of attitude. Right. So when he said that, like that's how you think relationships are supposed to end, I was like, oh my God, you know, and moments like that that kept happening from session to session. You go in and you're like, oh my God, then you're so excited to learn more about your psyche and your brain and what your body holds on to. And then I was learning so much and I was getting so much better at being myself. Mm. And like, I was learning how to meditate, you know, things that I thought were always so annoying, especially living in LA, retreats and meditation and, you know, all that bullshit sounded like, you know, the same group of people who only eat kale, Right. but it's like, there's so much more to it, you know, when you're not so closed minded. So yeah, it was having a series of those light bulb moments and I would just write it all down because Uh I was like, oh, I'm going to be able to share all this with people. Like this is going to be helpful to people who can't afford to pay what I was paying per hour for this man to unpack my brain. Right. So when (laughs) we were thinking about doing a podcast, I was like, oh God, you know, everyone's doing podcasts. Of course I can't just, what am I going to do to make it a little bit more specific to me? And I couldn't think of anything for a while, so I didn't do it. And then I realized, oh, oh. Like, I want to give advice to people. I've been giving advice for so many years to people, whether they've asked for it or not. I thought, why not have people call in? Because I am that kind of big sister. Like Uh I am going to push you to do the right thing and the best thing for you and to take chances and to like not allow yourself to be treated like shit by anybody. And the bulk of all of every call is about something like that. You know, people call in and it can be funny and lighter, but it gets pretty serious sometimes. and and people call in for like real life questions and i've always been you know the strong friend i've always yeah. known like okay you can buckle through this and you know or muscle through this and just you know get stronger so that's what dear chelsea is and it's turned into a big like a big thing for for me so i i'm like couldn't be more pleased because you know you know with podcasts it's like yes there's an effort to put in but to be able to sit here and talk and in my sweatpants. I mean, that's what you think I'm wearing. You know, <laughs> I I might not be wearing anything at all. Like it's it's so nice. And also the human connection of talking to strangers. Yeah. When you're a celebrity, there is something very like lost about that. You know? Mm-hmm. Like we get in these worlds where everyone's you know, you're just you're not really operating on a human level. I mean, New York is a lot different than California. That's for sure. And I notice it every time I go. But being able to connect with your audience in a real way where they're not fangirling over you where you're actually on the same level Mm -hmm. is nice. It's nice to be like, I'm here with you for your problem. What is it?
0: Do you feel like you're solving people's Like are people getting in touch with you after and going like, thank you. That was incredible advice. And this is what happened
3: this one kid called in earlier in the season. He was living with his group of roommates and he mm-hmm. wanted to quit smoking weed. He's like, I'm addicted. I'm never okay. getting high anymore. I smoke all the time. Da, da, da. I go, you need a reset. Like you have to stop. If you're not experiencing anything and you're just turning into a stoner and it's not contributing to your life in any positive way, like take a 30 day reset, not to say you have to quit, but just to like see where you are in 30 days. And I yeah. did it with him, which was, I was like, wait, fuck, why did I say that? But right. I did in solidarity with him. And after 30 days, uh-huh. he had decided to stop smoking pot for good. He had come out to his parents as trans. He had left his roommates. He had moved out. He gave them all notice and said, This isn't the right environment for me. And his name is Shane. His whole life turned around. And I was oh like, Holy shit. And we still keep in touch. He DMs me all the time on Instagram. But he, yeah he completely changed his life and like stuff like that has happened yeah they follow up with us all the time you know that's
0: incredible I
3: know I know one woman was like deciding whether or not to take her sister in during COVID because both Uh of her parents had died and her sister was handicapped and she's like I just don't want to you know give up the rest of my life Mm -hmm. like I don't want to I don't know if I'm gonna get be married you know be able to get married if I live with my sister and I do all these things and like you know these are real like you're like oh shit I better get somebody else involved or enlisted oh in this God. because some of the things feel like I shouldn't even be giving them on that advice. And if I do feel that way, I won't, but sometimes we have specialists on or psychiatrists, okay. you know, that could also help. And I, we always have people on that, you know, it's just nice to get a sounding board that's not your staple of regular people. Yeah. It's nice to get an outside a, objective opinion.
0: And do you feel like you are quick at knowing what the right advice is or do you need to like does it need do you need to marinate in the question for a while? And do you know that people are going to call in and what their question is going to be in advance so you can kind of like prepare your brain or are you like do you have great off the cuff advice?
3: I prefer everything to be off the cuff in okay. everything I do creatively. Like I really like I I, I believe in preparation to a degree, but I don't like to over-prepare for anything because I just find it, it helps me be in the moment also you know mm-hmm. I want to be present and sometimes if I I remember when I was doing my show and they'd give me like the questions that I was going to ask the you know the guest I'd yeah. be like I don't I'm going to have mm-hmm. a regular conversation so I'm yeah. never going to follow this eventually they stop doing that and I'm like and plus don't put my guests through a pre-interview like I don't even want them to have to sit on the phone doing a pre-interview when right. they get here I can carry a conversation for eight minutes that's right. not going to be an issue <laughs> and <laughs> you, you can, can always I mean? tell
0: like you can always like feel that pre-interview they're like so tell me about about your weekend away last Easter. And like, yeah. funny you should ask.
3: You're like, I heard you have a cat that swims. It's like, <laughs> oh,
0: fuck. I fucking wish I had a cat that swims. That yeah, would be
3: I wish all cats horrible. would swim. That would oh make them a little bit more God. interesting.
0: Although I do have, I have photographs in my phone of like tigers diving for fish. I think they do <laughs> some crazy... I think tigers are like, I don't care if it's uh, land, sea, or air... I'm going to eat the thing. I'm going to well, tear it Well, I don't to think, shreds. I think
3: Tiger's uh, diving for fish is something that probably just comes with your Apple phone at this point. <laughs> so possible. don't be too ashamed of that.
0: <laughs> um, and you're in love.
3: I know. That is the best thing of all. That's great. Honestly, I really believed that. I was like, all right, well, I'm just not going to get that in this life. You know, that's not in the cards for me because maybe I'm supposed to be representative, you know, of women that can just have their own lives and never have to rely on a man or be with a man or have that be part of your identity. You know, like I really just thought, okay, because men can be so... uh, disappointing Mm -hmm. and just so, especially in the last few years, you're just like, oh my God, why are you still arguing with this? Like, there's so much proof in the pudding of all the shit that has gone on for centuries and you're still arguing with us about equality, you know? And I know it's not all men, obviously, I have to keep saying that, which is so annoying. It's like, my brother's like, Chelsea, all white guys aren't bad. I'm like, well, you are for even fucking saying that. Don't even (laughs) say that. No one is saying all white guys are bad. We're saying there are enough bad ones out there. That as a collective, you guys all owe us an apology. Yeah. You know, their pattern of behavior and our culture is it's not your fault, but you have to recognize that you've had an unfair advantage and that women have had to pay the price for that Mm -hmm. period. It's like, you know, arguing, you know, it's like when a white person argues about racism as if they have any idea what the impact or effect is. I don't think that this is racist. It's like your opinion is irrelevant. (laughs)
0: It's completely irrelevant. There's no doubt like toxic masculinity is going to kill us all. We're watching Uh, it like happen right now, right? On the edge of World War III because of-
3: Yeah, right. Mm -hmm. So being in love, finding like, you know, Joe, even though he was always in front of me, I just was never really seeing him in that way. I also credit therapy with that because Mm -hmm. he always had a thing for me. I mean, he was on my old show. We've known each other for 15 years, but I just looked at him as like a little brother. Like I was like, oh no, Joe is, that's not for me. And to be able to see him through a different lens and to actually, like, embrace and accept, like, that kind of love and adoration from a guy was nothing I was going to do before therapy. I was never vulnerable. I would be, like, grossed out by it. You know what I mean? Right. Like, if I got too much attention from a guy, I'd be like, you're, you're embarrassing yourself. Stop it. Right. Whereas now, I'm like, oh. Oh, this is what like, you know, normal people aspire to is to be in love in a healthy, happy relationship and have some guy adore you. You know, the things he does for me and says to me, Uh like I would never have been interested in that five years ago.
0: Do you remember the moment when you first looked at after all those years, when you first looked at him and went, wait a minute,
3: I I might like you in that way. Yeah. Yeah. We were hanging out a lot and Uh nothing was happening. We were just like going to lunch. Then we'd end up at the Santa Monica pier. Then we'd go play air hockey. Then we'd go to Malibu, but nothing romantic was happening. Yeah, And I was doing my very first, one of my very first gigs for this tour, vaccinated and horny. I was doing it in Vegas at the Mirage and I was putting it up on its feet for the first time in a venue, like a large professional venue. And I'd done it at like a comedy club for like two weeks, but that's it. Mm -hmm. So I was nervous. And Joe has a house in Vegas. And so I was performing there. He's like, oh, I'm going to come to your show in Vegas. And this was, you know, kind of like me getting back into stand-up, into touring. Okay. And I was like, okay, well, you know, don't judge it. Like, it's I'm just putting it on its feet. I know it's going to have a lot of work to do. And my sister came to Vegas. And I had a bunch of people in my hotel room before the show. And he walked in. And I remember looking at him and going, oh wait a second. I think I want to fuck Joe Coy. Like there was something about him. And then we all went to dinner. I had my openers. I had like, there was a big group of us. There was like 10 of us. Yeah. And then we were pre-show, like I'm backstage going over my notes. I was very like you know, I was looking at everything, like, okay, I've got to get this, I've got to remember, you know, you're putting something up on its feet for the first time. And he was so sweet and caring and not, and he's a performer, you know, he's the highest, grossest, uh, highest ticket selling comedian in the world. Wow. for him to be able to be there for me in that way just demonstrated to me that a he's not a narcissist like so yeah. many male comics are. True. He's not like that. He was just there looking out for me, watching me, and he's like, "You're gonna crush it, you know." You're he's like, "You're Chelsea Handler. You're gonna have a great show. Like right. people are dying to see it." And I remember looking at him going oh, this is my guy. Like, this is my partner. This is my person. Yeah. And I got on stage. I did my show. It went well. Everything was good. I get off stage and Dave Chappelle and all of his friends, his whole posse yeah. had been in Vegas. And I get off stage and I'm looking for Joe Coy, you know? Yeah. I'm like, oh. And I see backstage Dave Chappelle and all this sea of guys coming towards me. And I'm like, oh, fuck. My night just got hijacked. Like, okay. we're going to be now with Chappelle. And like, I wanted to like get something going with Joe. And then I was like, where's Joe? Where's Joe? I couldn't find him. I'm saying hi to all the guys. And then Joe comes walking up and I was like, Hey, and he goes, what are they all doing here? And I go, I don't know, but I don't want to go out with them. Like I want us to go have fun. And he's like, no, 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 you and me, we're going out you and your friends and we're not going out with them. And I was like, Oh yeah. Oh, that's and then right. nothing happened then either. Like nothing happened for a, a few more days. But by then I was like, okay. And once I had the feelings, uh-huh. I, it was became an emergency. Like I was right. like, okay, we have to have sex immediately to, so I can see if there's potential for growth. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. And so I was intent on making it happen. It didn't take long after that, but he definitely didn't make the first move or anything like that. Mm-hmm. I had to because he knows me so well that if he had done that, he knows I would have been grossed out. And I probably right. would have been like, get away from me. We're done mm-hmm. hanging out.
0: Oh my God, that's a great story. That's yeah. like a
3: great story. It's so, yeah.
0: it's wonderful when you find your person. Your person is supposed to be the soft place for you to fall. It's supposed to be the person who, like, they make you a better person and you make totally. them a better person. And there's a fluidity there. I've been married for a really long time and I found my person too. And it's like this morning we talked on the phone, he's away. And, and I was like, just I need a pep talk. You just have to give me a pep talk. And he was like, I'm right there. And he totally did. It was it took 30 seconds. And I was like, this is why I, it's beautiful.
3: It's a really oh, beautiful story. So Nice. Yeah. Oh, I'm like,
0: I'm really happy for you.
3: How did you meet your person? Uh, doing children's
0: theater, as many <laughs> successful couples meet. It's really <laughs> the grinding tragedy of the work that you're doing. Is You see people at their most naked, Mm. even more naked than being naked is the humiliation of doing children's theater, or at least the show that we were doing, which was a live action version of Sailor Moon. Correct. Costume characters.
3: Well, you have a very soothing voice, so I can understand why it would be appropriate for you to be entertaining children.
0: Entertaining children Mm. nationwide. Um, This is awesome. I love talking to you. I'm so happy for you. Okay, so vaccinated and horny, people need to buy tickets. They need to go see you. You're going to be in the goddamn peg.
3: Oh, in yeah, the yeah. Coldest the part of the year. It's like minus 40. I know. I was like, I said to my assistant, I was like, oh, should I bring my skis? She's like, no, there's no mm. skiing in Winnipeg. Just <laughs> There's no
0: snow, only ice. Please don't try.
3: She's like, just sit tight. You're going to be in your hotel room <laughs> for hours on end. Oh, yeah. It's
0: flat and more cold than you've ever experienced. Your boobs are going to fall off. If you try to go outside.
3: I know I'll I'll probably keep them covered for that leg of the tour.
0: Definitely keep them covered. Oh my god, such a pleasure to talk to you. I'm so ah, I've really, I feel very soothed by our conversation.
3: Oh, me too. It was so great to talk to you as well.
0: So great to talk to you. And good luck on your tour. And Illusion's amazing. And you're just like amazing. And thank you.
3: Thanks. You too,
0: Samantha. Okay, I need to squeeze in another quick break here. Oh, my God. Oh, delivered. She delivered the goods. I can't believe you had never met before. I know it's really stupid. Is that true? <laughs>
1: it's stupid.
0: <laughs> it's stupid. Like, it actually doesn't make any sense. It's stupid, and now it's no longer true. Yeah, it's no longer true, so that's good.
2: Oh, wow. Wow. Well. Okay. Mm-hmm. As you know, and as you talked about, her podcast, Dear Chelsea, pays mm-hmm. homage to classic advice columns like Dear Abby. So we're going to do yes. a little round of Dear Sam. Oh, great. I love giving advice. You know, you don't like advice, but you'll have I to don't. give some out. Yep. Okay. That's right. not a problem. I love to give it. <laughs> Dear Sam. <laughs> okay. This is very specific. Can you watch an episode of a show that you watch with your partner or roommate without them? Or do you need to wait until everyone is ready for the new episode?
0: You, you should wait. That's not to say that my partner waits for me.
1: Okay. So you've been burned.
0: I've been burned. I have been burned. And I didn't like it.
1: (laughs) What was the show?
0: I think it was Breaking Bad. Oh, that's
1: a big one too. (sighs) Which was
0: sacred. Which really was sacred.
1: A lot of big plot developments. Mm
0: -hmm, mm -hmm, mm Mm-hmm. And then there was another one too. He did that. And then, but then I started watching Game of Thrones and he <laughs> two can w- play that game. Yeah. Two can play that game. And he was like, this is terrible. Like he didn't like it. And I was oh, like, weird. well, okay. So I continued watching and then I was like five episodes in and he was like, I thought you were waiting for me. And I'm like, you said it was terrible. Like <laughs> If you lay a judgment down on a show mm-hmm. and you didn't like it, why on earth? Like he doesn't like stuff with dragons. He doesn't like that stuff. That's not for him. I'm like, I made a judgment call based on your reaction to it and the fact that you never spoke about it again. So I watched it. (laughs) That's pretty clear.
1: My wife will say, like, can I start this one, like, without you? Because she'll kind of sense, like, is this a not you show? Mm -hmm.
0: Mm -hmm.
2: Mm Yes.
1: And I definitely might go for it when I don't want to watch it. (laughs)
0: I definitely burned him recently because we were going to watch what we do in the shadows, the mm. TV show. Uh, so I was good. on an airplane. I was on an airplane, Ooh, and that's I tough. just I gobbled all it. All is fair on airplanes yeah. when you're traveling. You just have to
1: protect it was yourself. All the altitude. <laughs> it's
0: the Wild West. I watched the entire first season, and then I reported <laughs> back, and he was really mad. I think that's such a good show. We can sidebar, but mm-hmm.
2: yeah. it's really good. I like it. I think that's one of the best new shows in years. Yeah, so good.
1: Uh, Okay, this one is, I think, less controversial. Okay, Uh, Dear Sam, should people be allowed to eat on the subway? No. Under any circumstances.
0: (laughs) Why must you eat everywhere? (laughs) Like, I saw someone walking down the street yesterday, literally yesterday, holding a sweet green salad bowl. And eating salad while walking. I was like, <laughs> that's do you impressive. Do that? Come on, man. This is dumb. I feel like if you're
2: physically able to do that, you should be allowed to, because not everyone can. I- <laughs> if you're going to put in the effort.
0: A hard <laughs> granola bar? Just try not to eat anything wet on the subway.
1: Oof, yeah. Dry
0: things only. Okay, if you must, I understand. Every You know, people get low blood sugar. They want, like, a hard... Just a little nibble of something, a dry biscuit, what have you? Nothing wet. A dry nothing. biscuit would be so crumbly. Mm-hmm. What kind of maintenance no, teams a do hard you think we have biscuit. on these <laughs> subways? No crumbs. A crumb-free, like a like a hard granola bar. No jerky. Nothing with a stent. Like nothing jerky. Okay.
1: The smell from that too.
0: Nothing hot and wet. Okay, so that's my rule. I made it up as I went along, but I stand by it. There's something I once heard, like Americans, as defined by some European snob, I don't remember who it was, and they were like, Americans just, like, eat everywhere. They're just, like, walking around with their faces <laughs> full of food, like, just, like, walking down the street, can't stop for one fucking second, gotta stuff a piece of sandwich in there. And I was like, I do do that. <laughs> I do. I understand that. So, I am guess I'm, I guess I'm... um I guess my reaction to that is no Subway spaghetti. Okay. <laughs> Christ. Final world. Okay.
2: All right. Lastly, dear Sam, how do you not play favorites with your kids?
0: Oh my God. You cannot do that. You can't do that. Is that possible? Yeah. I okay. don't. I don't. I it's, it's hard because they're always looking for cracks in the, they're always looking for a crack in the foundation. They're always like, Oh, I see that you wrote her a special note in her lunch. Where's my note? And you're like, it's in your lunch. And they're like, "Um, they want you. They want to have something against you. It's just perception. You know, I love all my children equally. I'll never allow anything to, uh, to interfere with that. And it's true, for one thing, but also, like, they can't ever, ever think that one is favored. You have to be very careful. It's a lot of work. I'm not saying it's easy. Right. It's not easy, because often... One of them is exceptionally annoying, or something, and you're like, until one of them starts eating spaghetti on the subway, they're all equal. 100%.
2: As soon as that starts happening, do you we still have, like, me,
1: Mom?
0: <laughs> when we have like conversations about being annoying, I'm like, this is very annoying to me, and I love you so much. And here's why it has to stop because they can't ever, ever weaken you. And they will try. They will try. All right. <laughs> oh, I hope you liked my podcast. If you did, let me know in the comments. If you didn't, please consider hate listening in the future. Seriously, though, please rate, review, and follow Full Release in Apple Podcasts, and tell your friends. Spread the word about this podcast. In the meantime, keep sending us your comments and questions to fullrelease at fullreleaseatsamb.com. They might even be featured in one of our special bonus episodes exclusively available on Stitcher Premium. Don't forget to tune into Full Frontal with Samantha B Thursdays at 10 p.m. on TBS, and we'll see you next Tuesday for another full release. This podcast is brought to you by Earwolf and TBS and was produced by Adam Howard and Svia Baron Reinstein with IT and Technical Production, provided by High It was edited by Julia Fott and hosted by me, Samantha B.
1: Sam, I appreciate you debunking the boner at the chalkboard thing. I've never heard anybody make that point, and it is it's so real, true. It's right? the stupidest thing. I don't even remember ever writing anything on the chalkboard, first of all. But I definitely don't remember being like, this is a rousing. You don't even have
0: chalkboards anymore. <laughs> uh, yeah, right. <laughs>